Welcome to Cancer Specialist Medical Minute. With Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. I'm Rick. And I'm Danny. And we're excited to be back for another episode of Medical Minute. <laughs> Is it time for that dad joke? I thought you were going to lead me in there, Rick. With there the was the, I was following. All right. So it is time for another dad joke. So I brought my ultimate dad joke book. Brought Can't to wait. you by Dr. Sugarman. What did the ass... Or, <clears throat> <laughs> why did the acid go to the gym? Uh, you got me. What is it? To become a buffer solution. Uh, ooh, that's a, a good one. That's kind of bad, dude. <laughs> you, you can do better than that. I can do better. Let me go do a different he page here. I did. He liked that page. I think I just crushed his for all of our chemistry. You did. Well, this is the way I can tell two dad jokes oh, okay. when Rick doesn't like my first one. That's too easy. <laughs> I didn't know there was actually a book. I have. I bought. I a thought, book for Father's I Day. You're. I'm living this. Why did the laptop get glasses? <laughs> I have no idea. To improve his website. That's good. All right, that's, that's, all right. that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. Well, anyway, Danny, it's October, and that means it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That's right, Rick. Breast cancer is one of the more well-known cancers, but that's because one in eight women will develop it over the course of a lifetime. It's a pretty unbelievable statistic, and there's obviously a lot of information out there, different organizations. Uh, Dr. Google, of course, is a rabbit hole you could go down. But we really want to try to synthesize and give a different perspective, and I think the listeners may have heard uh, two different voices in that intro that may have uh, given them a hint at what's to come. And there's so much more information, and that's why we're making this into a special two-part episode. And those voices are two special guests, um, and so I think it's going to be pretty interesting conversation going forward. Yes, Dr. Sugarman and Dr. Tanzler are here with us today. We're very excited. Uh, Dr. Emily Tanzler is a fellow radiation oncologist, so I have a little bit of backup with me today, and I can't get you know, ganged up on like usual. And my partner here at the beach is Dr. Alicia Sugarman. Welcome to the Podloft. So, Dr. Sugarman, we'll start with you. Give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you trained, and tell the listeners a little bit about you. Well, my name is Alicia Sugarman. I trained at University of Florida in Gainesville. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. And uh, I okay. came here about seven years ago, and I have a very special interest in breast cancer and was very fortunate to have trained with a lot of experts in the field. And I'm very happy to be here today with Dr. Emily Tanzler, who also trained in Gainesville That's right. with myself. Yes, Alicia and I have not been together now for 21 years. Oh, God. Almost, is that right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so Did I'm you know Emily that? Tanzler. I am a radiation oncologist here in Jacksonville, Florida. I was born and raised in North Florida. I'm thrilled to come back, join Cancer Specialist North Florida. It's been a real honor working with medical oncology and radiation oncology. Um, I love treating breast cancer and uh, excited to sit today um, to uh, talk about it with my colleagues and um, to hear some bad jokes. Oh, <laughs> that nice. second one was pretty good, Doctor. I will give you that. Air, air high five. I, I would give you that. Dating. The second one was a real zinger. <laughs> so I mean, I basically we just want to kind of leave the floor to you guys to start. You know, tell the listeners a little bit about breast cancer. We obviously know it's very common, but kind of give your different perspectives coming from the different specialties. And you know, I guess we can kind of start by talking about: Are all breast cancers the same? Are there different kinds of breast cancer? You know, what would you 
guys say about that? So all breast cancers are not the same. That's a very fabulous question. Um, there are pre-breast cancers, which interestingly are treated very similar to breast cancer, and uh, Dr. Tanzler may touch on that. Um, those are things called ductal carcinoma in situ, which is actually not uh, yet invasive breast cancer, but it's treated by an oncologist and a radiation oncologist as well. There's ductal carcinoma, which is kind of from the milk ducts. That's where it originates. And there's lobular carcinoma, which is from the fatty glands of the breast. There's other types that are more rare, and but those are the most common types. And there's also other kinds of pre-breast cancer that uh, we see patients for as well. Absolutely. I think Dr. Sugarman said it perfectly. Um, breast cancer is any cell that is growing without... Um, regulation. So these are breast cancer cells, wherever they come from, that are growing uncontrollably. And so some of those cells can fill a milk duct and thus remain in place or in situ. Um, that is that pre-invasive disease that we talk about. And um, it's still a very serious disease because it's still cancer. It just hasn't done anything bad yet in the fact that it hasn't dove through the wall of the um, milk duct yet, where it becomes what we know of as invasive cancer. And obviously, with it being so common, you know, I think, uh, you know, Danny and I have touched on different research aspects for different cancers, but things, treatment has obviously changed over time. Can you guys kind of give the listeners an overview of sort of how things have evolved maybe in the last several decades with the yeah. management of breast cancer? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, the treatment of breast cancer is to treat the entire organ. Um, and for, you know, 200 years, dating back to John Adams, who I believe his wife even had a mastectomy, we used surgery to remain, to wow. remove. <laughs> yes, Is that a history book I you watched just the documentation. I, I watched a documentary. That's so, impressive. Yeah, thank you. That yeah. impressive. And I'm a historian. Oh, uh, no, she I'm is. actually a she big closet a nerd, buff. I think. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so for many years, we used uh, surgery because um, radiation wasn't sophisticated yet. We didn't really have computers. It was pretty um, cookie cutter to say. Um, and we, uh, as my medical oncology colleagues know, we didn't create these um, fabulous hormonal blockade medicines until I think about the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, we had rudimentary chemotherapy drugs, and even those started to become more sophisticated by the 80s and 90s. And, and that's where we started to really change the way we treat breast cancer and think and take a step back, do we need to do large surgeries in everyone? And we did some big clinical trials. And, and what we saw was that um, the answer is no. We can actually do smaller surgeries called lumpectomies, where we just remove what I call the body of the octopus or what you can see on the imaging. And we use radiation um, in many cases to treat the remainder of the breast and then add on medicines to help either the other breast or the rest of the body, et cetera. And to touch on Dr. Tanzler's point, the same um, things have evolved in terms of medical oncology treatment. Um, we used to have, like she was saying, very broad spectrum, as you may, chemotherapy drugs that were not targeted to breast cancer per se, and we did not have any specific tools to be able to guide our treatment. Um, so I'm sure some of you have heard Oncotype. So we used to just look at the pathology and we wouldn't have the estrogen positivity or the progesterone positivity. We just would do the large surgery and give chemo because we felt that everyone needed chemo to prevent the recurrence. Um, nowadays, there's super, super special. There's, there's super special. There's a, it is pretty special. <laughs> there's very sophisticated testing um, called Oncotype 
um, which is basically a test that is done either before or after surgery on the breast tissue on the tumor itself. Um, it comes with a score that actually gives you the exact recurrence rate of your tumor and the actual benefit of chemotherapy or not versus hormonal therapy. And it's also stratified based upon if you're menopausal mm -hmm. status, if you're pre or post menopausal. So we have gotten way smarter with breast cancer. We used to do large surgeries and give chemo to everyone. And in fact, with all the breast cancers, we've decreased the need for treatment and people have lived longer without recurrence of a breast cancer. So yeah, it's pretty absolutely. amazing. And I think yeah. what's really one of the most exciting things about breast cancer and the whole field of oncology is that the disease and the, our approach to it is customized to the patient. It used to be that we thought that there were basic algorithms, you know, six-year-old woman, invasive ductal carcinoma, two centimeters, this is what you do. Um, but now we like to look at the biology of the disease and tell us what are the genetics of this disease. And, and even though we catch it as a kitten, can it grow up to be a tiger? And I think that that has really been um, a great, I think one of our largest advancements in medicine so that we aren't over treating, but treating more smart. What? That was, that was awesome. amazing. Yes, awesome. Emily. <laughs> She's an amazing speaker. Yes. Catch it when it's a kitten and before it became a tiger. That's what I tell my patients. Just mic drop that nonsense <laughs> and walk away. <laughs> So to get back to the Oncotype uh, testing that Dr. Sugarman was talking about, we're talking 25 to 30 years ago, we were uh, taking a patient with a one centimeter breast cancer and telling a majority of those patients they needed chemotherapy. And the Oncotype score um, with a one centimeter uh, breast cancer, it may, in, in all patients with the same type of cancer, you may get all different scores. And this score is dependent on what the genetic profile is. Um, which then predicts if this cancer is going to come back, what percentage chance they have of uh, a recurrence uh, distantly in the body. And it really helps guide treatment because we can uh, thankfully now omit chemotherapy in a majority of our mm -hmm. patients uh, with estrogen positive breast cancer. Um, so it's been really a, a groundbreaking uh, genetic test, as well as there's other testing like Mammaprint that's out there, which also does a similar thing, studying gene profiles on these tumors, and just helps us decide on what the optimal treatment is for a patient while limiting toxicity if we can. So Dr. Sugarman, so you see a lot of new breast cancer referrals, and uh, walk us through if there's a new patient with a diagnosis of breast cancer, what are the steps that you need to take in order to make sure that the care is delivered uh, in a proper way, and, and what are we doing nowadays uh, which are helping patients live longer? Great question, Dr. Danny. So in general, a patient goes for their screening mammogram um, as their primary care usually orders or their OBGYN or other physicians. And what would happen is, is they would be called back for any abnormality noted on that mammogram. So that can include a multiple number of things. Uh, so the next step is the patient would go in for a diagnostic mammogram, which is a better view of the breast to look specifically at the abnormality, which usually includes an ultrasound and a biopsy of the area that's concerning. Um, and at that point, a pathology, which is the sample of the tissue that was taken, will come back. And if that shows either pre-breast cancer or cancer, at that point, usually the patient is referred to both a surgeon and a medical oncologist or one of the other first. Uh, there is no specific order that's important for that situation. 
So um, if I see the patient first, in general, I have the pathology. And like I spoke about before, I will know if it's the lobular type or the ductal type or the precancer type. Uh, depending on the patient's breast tissue, they may need further imaging, such as an MRI of the breast, which is just a much better view of the breast tissue. So that would be ordered by myself or the surgeon. And that will just sometimes give a better picture of the breast tissue, the armpit area, which is important to look at for surgery. And in general, if there's any other abnormalities, uh, in general, that's not always needed. So that's always determined by a team of doctors. So, And there are a couple options for surgery, right? So uh, right. Dr. Tanzler touched on this. We could do what's called a lumpectomy to remove uh, the tumor and some of the surrounding breast tissue while conserving a majority of the breast tissue or a mastectomy, which is removing exactly, the exactly. Breast. So. Yeah. According to the, the type of tumor and the mm -hmm. size of the tumor to the breast size, that would be determined. But in general, a lumpectomy, which is just removing a part of the breast and preserving the tissue, is, is very likely an option. Um, and then a mastectomy is usually if a patient wishes to have that, and we'll touch upon genetics in the second episode because that would influence the decision on the surgery. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, or um, if a lumpectomy is usually fine to do in the majority of the cases. In general, after the patient sees both the med onc medical oncologist or the surgeon, there's a multidisciplinary tumor board, it's called, where we all meet, which is extremely important where the radiation oncologist, the surgeon, the medical oncologist, the pathologist, and a, a nurse navigator who kind of helps the patient along meet and determine the best treatment options for the patient, which is a very amazing step for patients. And we did not have that until Agreed. just recently. And it's very helpful for patients. And it's also important for all of the doctors to coordinate together the best treatment plan for the patient. Yeah, it's a it's a great meeting, and I think we can discuss the case openly and decide on, you know, what the best surgical approach is, and then two, depending on what their markers show, right, their estrogen receptor, progesterone, and HER2, we can decide on if they need preoperative therapy or if they can go directly to surgery. That's right. And um, so, Preoperative therapy, what do we mean when we talk about preoperative therapy, Dr. Sugarman? I know it's, it is specific to whatever right. type of cancer they have and whether they express estrogen, whether they have HER2 amplification in their tumor. So what do we have to look so for? There's certain circumstances, like Dr. Danny is speaking of, where uh, if the tumor, for example, is very large in the breast and there's a chance it could shrink and the patient desires breast conservation or a lumpectomy, you can shrink the tumor so it's able to be removed in the lumpectomy specimen um, during surgery. Uh, there's other options where HER2, like discussed, where it, it can get a little complicated, but there's basically certain so, circumstances where yeah, it's I think, more helpful or not. I think the main thing is, you know, bringing this kind of all around for people listening is breast cancer is very complex. There's all these different specialties who have their input. There's all these fine points to it. And so I think one of the things you have to realize is, especially if you're a patient or a family member who's helping take care of a patient, be very careful when you Google treatment, be very careful when you look up things because yeah. it, not may not be, it may not be applicable to your situation. So I think it's very important, and that's what is being emphasized, is this multidisciplinary input from mm -hmm. all different types of doctors and other supporting staff is that as a patient, you need to realize that your physician should 
go through different options with you, what the pros and cons are for your situation. I think it's very different and it's very unique depending on a bunch of different factors as we alluded to. But I just wanted to kind of slow it down a little bit because sometimes we get into the weeds of specifics, but in reality, you know, it's only going to apply to a certain subset of patients. Yeah. Usually when we're thinking about preoperative, postoperative therapy, not getting into the details, but it's, it's guiding what type of surgery we're mm-hmm. doing. And it's also um, it can be helpful because there are studies that show that if we give preoperative treatment to patients and they do really well with it and the tumor goes away, we know those patients live longer and do it's better. Prognostic. So it's prognostic. So one of the things, one of the decision trees is, of course, whether someone needs therapy before or after surgery. And then, of course, the question becomes, after surgery, what else does a patient need? Do they need drug therapy? Do they need hormone therapy? And then, of course, obviously, selfishly, as a radiation oncologist, I'm always wondering, do they need radiation? And uh, thankfully, I have a partner to back me up today. Dr. Tanzler, can you go through your thought process or what are the things as a radiation oncologist you're looking for to help make treatment decisions? Yeah, so... um, when we see a patient after surgery, at this point, the patients have been through a lot. You know, they've been through mammograms and MRIs and biopsies, and it's scary. Each step is really scary. And then another doctor enters the paradigm. And as a radiation oncologist, um, our job is to help all of the doctors make sure that we have eradicated or killed every remaining cancer cell that's left. And so um, I like to start a lot of my consultations with telling patients that it takes a billion cells for cancer to reach the size of a pea. It only takes one cell for cancer to come back. And so what you're seeing on the MRI, what you're seeing on the mammogram is the tip of the iceberg. And so um, just because the surgeon takes it out, there means that doesn't always mean that there aren't tentacles left behind. And so I always joke with my patients that I'm a glorified janitor because my job is to mop up after the surgeons. The surgeons take out what you can see during the time of surgery and whether they do that with taking off the entire breast with the mastectomy, which I spoke to earlier, we were trying to get away from in some of our earlier stage patients, if possible. Um, or with a lumpectomy where we take out just the cancer plus a margin of tissue and leave the breast in place. So when patients come to radiation oncologists, we look and see, does it make sense to give radiation? Is it possible that there are still tentacles of this cancer left behind, depending on how much breast is left behind? And so um, that is how we use radiation, particularly after lumpectomies in women. um, We do offer radiation and that goes back to our original trials in the 1980s where we started to get away from large surgeries and mastectomies and we asked ourselves um, does a mastectomy um, is there the same curate when we do a lumpectomy and then add radiation to the remainder of the breast and um, luckily we found out that that answer was yes the curates are the same and so um, lumpectomy plus radiation is the standard of care or was born of the standard of care in the 1980s for a lot of women. Now, that's debatable in certain women of certain ages, and we talk about that now because, again, we try not to over-treat. Um, but the job of a radiation oncologist is generally to treat the remainder of the breast as left after surgery. Very well said. And your facts are second to none. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, partner. That was an excellent alley <laughs> What are some of the things that you guide patients on in terms of expectations after treatment, side effects, things to watch out for after you're done with your radiation treatment? Yeah, so radiation um, is is very time-consuming, but luckily 
for breast cancer, radiation is tolerable. Um, radiation can be very, very difficult. I, I don't mean to paint roses about it. Head and neck radiation causes a bad sore throat. And, and um, so the side effects of radiation come from what is the tissue you're trying to target. So if you're targeting the breast, you're talking about skin and fat and muscle. And those are the side effects we look at. And maybe if the lymph nodes are positive in the armpit or the axilla, as Dr. Sugarman was talking about, maybe you can get a little bit of a sore throat. So the main side effects I talk to patients about is um, our fatigue, um, a slow, gradual skin change, we call it, to the breast. So radiation, we use a very, very low dose of radiation to the same spot over and over and over again, building up to a total dose that will kill cancer, but going slowly enough that the body can repair itself from the radiation damage, because our body is very used to being radiated. We're radiated all the time. If you go to Denver for a year, it's about the same radiation as um, a chest x-ray. And so our body knows how to repair itself from radiation DNA damage, but the cancer cells do not. They're weird and mutated, and then they have lost their ability to repair themselves or they're faulty at it. So the side effects of radiation are fatigue and a slow, itchy breast that can be uncomfortable. And I tell some of my patients it might be bright red like a little tomato at the end, but just like a sunburn at the beach, it will go back to normal two weeks later as the body naturally repairs itself from the radiation damage. Well said. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Denny. So I think, you know, we talked about how breast cancer management changed from, you know, the Halstead mastectomy where every woman under the sun was having their whole breast removed. There were no other options. That's what people did, you know, decades and decades and decades ago. We've touched a little bit on how the surgical management has evolved, how radiation management has evolved, how as medical oncologists, y'all's management has evolved with different targeted agents. But I guess there's still obviously room for improvement. And where do you guys see the field going in breast cancer management? What do you think some of the potential advances are down the pipe? That's a great question. Uh, in general, there's research ongoing in multiple cancers. There are large amounts of research available in breast cancer because, as we've mentioned, we have been tending to overtreat patients, and as we've moved farther and farther, we're able to offer less treatment with the same outcomes or better outcomes. Um, our practice has many research trials available looking at different options that include um, adding medications to standard of care, meaning that you would have the same treatment as any other patient in your situation, plus the addition of an agent that's being studied in breast cancer for patients to have better outcomes. And uh, it's, it's also looking at immunotherapy. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about immunotherapy. It's been studied in breast cancer. We have immunotherapy trials here at our practice, and there's multiple other trials available, and all, again, at the goal of changing treatment with better um, outcomes with less toxicity and... <laughs> Just to add to Dr. Sugarman, I, I see, you know, for different subtypes of breast cancer and different um, uh, patients with estrogen positivity, um, the trials are looking at uh, adding more targeted treatments, less chemotherapy to try to reduce recurrences. Uh, with HER2 positivity, the trials are looking to subtract chemo, adding more HER2 targeted treatments, again, to lower toxicity and hopefully have similar outcomes as chemotherapy. And then triple negative disease where you don't have any expression of estrogen or HER2, I think that's one of the unmet needs where we need better mm -hmm. treatments. And we need treatments other than chemotherapy because chemotherapy only gets us so far. These tumor cells become resistant. It, it's a very difficult disease to treat. So they are looking into targeted approaches 
um, drug antibody conjugates. I'm not going to go into all different kinds of treatment, but hopefully we'll see some improvement in the horizon. And and two, adding, you know, catching cancer early, treating it early is going to be the, the way we cure patients. I think one of the things in radiation that's so exciting is as computers and technology are advancing at a speed that we've never seen before, I mean, we all, every time we get a Best Buy, there are new things that comes out. The radiation technology has advanced, and now we get to treat less and less of your normal tissue, and so therefore have less and less side effects and less and less of the complications that we used to know about. We now can treat tumors with radiation that they're the size of a freckle, um, and we're able to hit that in no, nothing else. So we're seeing less rates of heart disease and lung disease and swelling of the breast that we used to see before. So it's, it's a very excited time, and I think targeted and customized is really the word that we're all looking for. Um, when we start to talk about breast cancer and its advancements since um, for many years. Yes, and, and I, I typically sound like a broken record on these, but you're either improving people's lives in terms of length of life, so you're increasing survival or and or you're reducing side effects and improving their quality of life. So I think, you know, hopefully the goal of advances, whether it's technology with radiation or clinical trials with different agencies, you're doing one or the other. You're either mm -hmm. trying exactly. or, or ideally both, but you're at least doing one or the other. Well, I always tell my patients, it's not a success to cure cancer. The success is curing cancer and maintaining a patient's quality of life. That's true success in oncology. I think that's what we're all focused on in, in medicine. Do you see any new radiation techniques, whether intraoperative or different types of radiation, given that you feel like maybe on the horizon to improve quality of life in relation to radiation treatment? So, uh, well, speaking of intraoperative, because you brought it up, I actually think it's the opposite. Unfortunately, okay. the data shows that there's actually higher risk of side effects with mm -hmm. intraoperative radiation. Um, the skin thickening and fibrosis that Dr. Tanzer alluded to is worse, unfortunately, with that type of treatment. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily see that being a, a game changer. Um, and to, just to kind of clarify for the listeners, intraoperative radiation is typically done. So at the time of your surgery, they tested whether or they are testing whether adding um, basically a physical device there's several different brands and types but basically a device where they insert it into the resection cavity the radiation is delivered while the patient's under anesthesia during the surgery and then the device is removed so they wake up and you know in theory their radiation is is complete and i think um to me, some of the most exciting technologies are now our ability to look inside the patient's body every day before we treat so that we get to see exactly where your heart is, where your muscles are, where your ribs are, where your lungs are, so that we know where we are at all times and we know exactly where the radiation is going to go all times. And we can even watch patients breathe in real time every single day. And to that, that is really a um, incredible advancement we haven't seen before and I really speaks to I think the safety of these treatments like we've never seen before mm -hmm. um, you know as we talk about these technologies um, at cancer specialists in North Florida we sat down my my radiation oncology colleagues and I and we said you know we really want to practice at a, a level of excellence you know what what makes excellent radiation 
treatment was excellent radiation medicine. And I think that that comes from um, putting together the latest type of treatments and looking at your outcomes. And we did that at Cancer Specialists. And it took a lot of time and a lot of patient charts to go through. But because we did that, we were um, awarded through ASTRO, our um, APEX accreditation as a, a center of excellence. And we were the first center in the state of Florida to actually awarded that. And, and that came with a lot of hard work, but I, I'm really proud that we did that. And I think it's worth it. And um, to me, it, it gives me peace that I'm doing the right thing and I am treating the patients to a level of excellence that would I'd be proud of. It's an amazing accomplishment, guys. It really is. It takes a village. It's all Dr. Tanzer. It takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I know everyone out there listening probably was more entertained than just listening to you and I, as usual, Danny, with these excellent guests we've had. But we really appreciate you coming back. We have another Thank episode you. with these guests uh, coming out shortly. But I uh, hope you come back and join us. If you have any suggestions on things that we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or just want to say hi, you can email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. You can search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time and hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions. And, and tune, tune in, in next time. time. You guys have gotten so good at it. Yeah, that baby. Awesome. I listen to that podcast.